As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Dr. Tim Jordan back here with a new episode of Raising Daughters. And as you probably know from experience, I've been doing these podcasts for a while. I tend to pick topics that are on my mind. Also on the minds of people in the public, things on the news, etc. But I, I, I work with girls almost every day in some capacity. Whether it's counseling them my, in my counseling practice, whether it's weekend retreats, summer camps, my Strong Girl, Strong World school program, and all those places I listen, I observe, I hear their stories. And one of the things that I've noticed with girls, especially in the last oh, five or 10 years, is how stressed out they seem to be. So much pressure, so much stress. This is true starting in grade school. It's, it, have, it goes through middle school, high school, college, but especially in high school and college. And I've talked before about causes of stress, but so today I just want to focus on one area that I have found is common with a lot of the girls that I work with, and that is they have a hard time letting things go. That famous book that came out years ago called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, none of these girls have read that book because a lot of them have a really tough time not sweating the small stuff. And it, it ends up piling on and piling on and piling on. And then all of a sudden they're on overload, overwhelm, and then all kinds of mischief happens. I heard a story one time about these two monks who were walking down the road. And they had taken a vow of chastity, which to them meant they weren't supposed to look at women or talk to women or for sure not touch women. So these two monks were walking along. They came down to the bottom of a hill. And there was this, a creek there that normally just had a little bit of a trickle of water in it. But because of a week-long uh, torrential rains, it was up to like their, their, their waist. At the side of this creek, on their side, was a young woman who looked really confused. She was standing there in this long, beautiful dress, didn't know how to get across without getting wet. So one of the monks, without saying a word, walked up to her. He said something to her and she nodded. He picked her up gently. He carried her across the creek, gently set her down. She said, thank you. He said, you're welcome. And then she walked off in one direction. The other monk crossed over, joined him, and they walked off in the opposite direction. Well, these two monks have been walking for about three hours, and they finally stopped to rest. And the one monk said to his friend, I can't believe you did that back there. He said, we took a vow of chastity. You, you not only talked to her, but you, you picked her up. You carried her across the river. You talked to her again. He said, I can't believe you carried her across the river like that. 
And his friend turned to him and he said, you're right, I did carry her across that creek, but you still seem to be carrying her. And that, my friends, is what I think happens to a lot of girls. Stuff happens and then they have a hard time letting it go, so they carry it with them. Old thoughts, old feelings, beliefs about themselves that are unhealthy. I've talked about my spiral of beliefs in the past, in past podcasts. Things happen, uh, causes us to feel unhappy, sad, something. So then we go in our heads and we wonder, why is this happening to me? And then we make sense of it in our own minds by saying things like me, it's because I'm blank. And a lot of times for girls, they make bad sense of it. They make decisions like I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not cool enough, I'm annoying, I'm socially awkward, uh, people don't care about me. They make all kinds of thoughts in their mind and those they keep carrying around because they, they no longer stay as thoughts, they become our belief systems. I show girls in my counseling practice and also at camp sometimes, I'll draw a picture of a brain and then I show them that uh, the female brain has nine different emotional centers. And when those emotional centers activate because they're feeling, two other parts of the brain then tend to activate. One of them is their verbal centers. So for a lot of girls, not all, but for a lot of girls, when they're upset about things, they like to handle it by talking it through. And I think more so than boys. And some of you may be yelling at your, at your, at your uh, headphones right now, but I think that's sort of true for a lot of girls. The other part of the female brain that becomes activated is a part of their prefrontal cortex. And it's a part of their brain that likes to process through things. So something happens and a girl has a thought in her head and she thinks about it. And then she thinks about it and she keeps thinking about it and she overanalyzes and she overthinks. And then before long, she's on overload, overwhelmed. Let me give you a really common example. This happens all the time for girls. Saturday night, they're sitting home alone. They flip, pick up their phone, look on Snapchat, Instagram or something, and they see a picture of her two best friends at a sleepover, and she was not invited. So then they go through this, this whole process of thoughts. And a lot of girls will say to themselves, Josh, I wonder why uh, they didn't call me. Oh my gosh, I wonder if I said something. Or if I did, so, I wonder if they're mad at me. I don't know. I, they go through their whole day. Did I say something wrong? Did I, did I make somebody upset? And then they think, oh my gosh, they're becoming such close friends. They're having sleepovers without me. They didn't invite me. Maybe they're going to become best friends and they're going to start leaving me out. Oh my God, I'm going to go to school on Monday and they're going to be talking about me. I'll be sitting in the library by myself. So they go from, I saw a photo on Instagram to, oh my God, I'm this lonely loser with no friends. That is what I call rumination. When I ask girls, do you tend to ruminate best case or worst case? They always answer worst case. And when I ask them in those moments, are you living in the past, the present, or the future? Almost always they're living in the future. They're living in the land of what ifs. What if my friends don't call? What if I lose my friends? I got a bad grade in the test. What if my GPA goes down? What if I can't get into the college that I want? What if, what if, what if? And I think that... Those kinds of thoughts are hard for girls to let go of. A lot of girls tell me their parents are not always helpful when they come home with stories about hurts and things, and especially their dads, who like to go right to fix-it mode. 
there's a uh, comedian, Samantha Ruddy, and she said, if I ever have kids, I'm going to be one of those no-nonsense parents. If my kid ever cries and throws a tantrum, I'll be like, I'll give you something to cry about, and then I'll make them watch Bambi. So that would not be the way I would want you to listen when your daughter's upset. That will not help her rethink and to let go. But there are some things that she can learn to do to do that. I'm going to give you some examples right now that you can pass on to your daughters or have them listen to this podcast with you. One of them is, is to learn to bring themselves to the present moment. When they learn to catch themselves when they're in the process of ruminating, they can very gently stop and say, oh, I know what I'm doing. Slow down. I'm starting to ruminate. Breathe. <sighs> Relax. I got this. And then do something to bring themselves back to the present. I do some breathing exercises with, with them in the office. I have them close their eyes, uh, tell them to breathe in and out their nose, and then I count the breath in for five seconds and then out, going to count down from five. So you breathe in, one, two, three, four, five, hold it, breathe out, five, four, three, two, one. Obviously much slower. And I'll have them do that with my voice, and then I'd say, now say those things to yourself. Count for yourself inside your head up and then count down from five all the way down. I say, keep going till I say stop. And I give them maybe a minute. And then I say, okay, you can open your eyes. I ask them how they feel. And the girls will say things like, I feel so calm. I feel more relaxed. I feel more present. And I think the reason they feel calm and relaxed is because they left the land of what ifs in the future and they're back inside their body which is why I have them close their eyes and they're counting the breath and they're focused on keeping uh, their breathing through their nose and that brings them to their body in the moment and all the other stuff starts to drift away. Anything they can do to bring themselves back to the present moment helps them to stop ruminating and to bring them back and to, and to calm down and then start to let go of what, what they're worried about. I also help tell them to think about their past history. They've ruminated a lot in the past. And they've got all these worst case scenarios. They get, they get themselves all worked up, all anxious. And then 99 times out of 100, what they're worried about, what they ruminate about doesn't even happen. Or something happens, but it wasn't that big of a deal and they handled it just fine. That is their truth. One way to let go of those kinds of anxieties and worries and fears is to remind yourself, I've started to ruminate like this in the past. But I know from a lot of experience, I've got a lot of evidence that says it's probably not going to happen. So maybe I can stop myself in this process and let it go. Let those thoughts go. Sometimes I have the girls close their eyes and visualize them sitting on a hillside looking up at the sky. And there's one big white puffy cloud way off to the left. And I had them visualize putting their, their scary, worried, anxious kind of thoughts into the cloud. And then I have them breathe the cloud across the sky. They breathe in, hold their breath, and as they exhale, they slowly blow the cloud to the right. They breathe in, exhale, breathe a little bit more to the right, more to the right, more to the right, all the way across their vision until finally, in their mind, it, it, um, it leaves their view. And at the end of a, visualiza a visualization like that, they're calmer again. It's another way of letting things go, letting those thoughts go. There's a really good con uh, concept, too, called self-compassion. And I teach this process to girls in my camps and my retreats. And there's a couple of different parts of self-compassion. If you're upset about something, if you're angry, uh, 
at yourself about something, if you're anxious about something, especially the part about being frustrated and angry and you're, and you're being hard on yourself, I tell them, imagine that someone is in your head and that someone is someone you really, really trust. Someone who loves you unconditionally, someone who's always there for you. I say, who would that person be? Some girls will say it's their mom. Some will say it's their dad. Sometimes they'll say it's their best friend. So I say, imagine if that person, imagine if your mom is in your head right now. What would she be saying to you? Because you, because you did bad in the test. Would she be saying, you idiot, you're so stupid, you're never going to get it? Of course not. What would she say? She'd probably say, it's okay, it's just one quiz. You can make it up. Learn from this. I, I know you can do this. So I have them imagine that person in their head. Imagine what that person would be saying to them and then say it to yourself. Very powerful. That's one of the biggest pieces of self-compassion. Another piece of self-compassion is, is to connect with a, a universal experience, which is, for instance, um, I, if they, I imagine that they got dumped by their boyfriend and they're sad and they're lonely and they think they're never going to get through it. They're just overwhelmed with emotion. So I, I had them remind themselves that in the 150,000 years of history, a lot of people have been dumped by a dating partner. And they were sad and overwhelmed and upset, and they got through it. And if all those hundreds of thousands of people can get through it, I can too. There's a sense of a common humanity. If they got through it, I can too. I'm not the only one who's experienced this. Therefore, I'm not alone and I'm not crazy with my emotions. That's a part of self-compassion. So I, I, I encourage girls to focus on those two parts of self-compassion. It's not always easy for them to let those kinds of things go. I think in general, girls tend to, to feel more shame than boys about things, meaning they can, tend to take things more personal. I always use this example. I used to coach teams, my, my kids' teams. If I was coaching a girls, say, basketball team, and they're out there and they weren't hustling and they're doing really bad, I might call a timeout, have the girls come to the bench. If I said to them, you girls are not playing well, you're not hustling, nobody is focused, you really need to get your heads in the game, the girls, a lot of the girls, not all, but a lot of the girls will start to feel really bad about themselves. Oh my God, the coach is mad, the coach doesn't like me, I'm disappointing him. They'll, they'll go to that place a lot. If I'm, if I'm coaching the same age of boys, and they're not doing well in the basketball game, and I call a timeout, and they come to the bench, I tell them, you guys are not hustling, your heads are not in the game, you guys need to focus, you need, you need to get, get on it. The boys won't look inward, they'll look at each other, be like, and they'll be, be like, you need to get your act together, you need to start hustling. They point out everybody else but themselves in general. Girls in general tend to internalize more, I think. They feel like they've done a bad thing, they feel like they're a bad person. It's also maybe the reason why when people looked at, at, at uh, either a fixed or growth mindset, that girls in general tend to have more of a fixed mindset than boys do, especially when it comes to math. A fixed mindset is if you start to struggle in something, whether it's math or soccer or whatever, you quickly go to in your mind, oh my gosh, this is so hard, I'm not doing very well, and this is one of those things where either you got it or you don't, and because I'm doing bad, I guess I don't, and I will never get better. That in a, in a, in a uh, 
That is what a fixed mindset sounds like. A growth mindset says, uh, I struggled, I'm struggling right now, it's getting harder, but I know if I keep working at it, if I work harder, if I work smarter, if I keep at it, I will, I will end up improving. That's a growth mindset. Um, and so I think girls' brains are wired in a sense to do that, the fixed, growth, the fixed mindset thing. So using self-compassion, having them imagine their teacher or their mom or their dad or their best friend in their head, telling them more positive things, I think that can be a big help. I also give girls another, another metaphor that I think is really helpful too. I say to them, if I right now reached into my wallet and I pulled out a big wad of cash and I counted out and gave to you $86,400, just counted it out in your hand and I said, it's yours, it's a gift, I want nothing in return, how would you feel? And the girls, of course, say, oh, I'd be excited, I'd be really happy. And I said, great. So then imagine you go home with that A6,400 and then uh, you, you put it on your desk and then your, your little brother comes in and he steals $10 of it without asking you. How would you feel? Well, I'd be upset, but I wouldn't be like freaked out because, you know, it's only $10. And I would say, right, you would still have A6,309 left. So it's disrespectful. You shouldn't have done that. But you know what? I got so much left. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. Well, the analogy is this. There are 86,400 seconds in every day. So if someone says something to you, if someone rolls their eyes at you or does something for 10 seconds, you can allow it to ruin all the, the rest of your day. You can let it ruin the other 86,390 seconds in the day, or you cannot. You can decide it's not worth it. It's not worth my time. It's not worth my energy. I mean, I could sit here and stew on it all day at school and be upset and go home and go to my room and stew on it and then call friends and, they, and do a bunch of drama and have a hard time falling asleep. And then I'd be worried about going to school the next day because of all that. You can do that or you can say, you know what, I'm not going to give my power away and allow someone to take 10 seconds of my life and then ruin the other 86,390 seconds of my day. Good metaphor. Tell your, tell your girls about that one. Another thing they can do to start letting things go, not sweating the, the small stuff. There's a really nice story about uh, Buddha, who one day was sitting and he was preaching to his followers. And then this angry general came storming up, screaming at Buddha, cursing at him, screaming. And Buddha just kind of sat there calmly and his, his little disciples didn't know what to do. So the, the general got more angry because Buddha wasn't being triggered, wasn't responding. So he got even more angry, more cursing. At one point, he takes out his sword and he threatens to kill Buddha. Buddha sits there quiet and calm. No reaction, no response. Finally, finally the general gets kind of tired of it. He's getting nothing for it. He puts his sword back in his sheath, says one last word, and he turns around and he storms off. And once he was gone, Buddha's followers said, I, I can't believe you didn't say anything. He was screaming. He was in your face. He was cursing you. He threatened your life. You just sat there. Why didn't you do something? And Buddha said this, if someone offers you a gift and you refuse to accept it, to whom does the gift belong? And the follower said, well, it belongs to the, the person who, who offered it. And Buddha said, that's right. And the same thing goes for other people's anger. 
If someone offers you the gift, quote unquote, of anger, and you refuse to accept it, react, whatever, then it goes back to them. So I want girls to remind themselves, first of all, I want them to believe and then remind themselves that they are always, always, always in charge of their feelings. And they're always, always, always in charge of how they react to words uh, and the actions of other people. When girls can do that, they can learn to not allow others to take their power, that they're in charge of their feelings, not the other person. And they stop saying things like, she made me feel. I. When they stop doing that, they become incredibly emboldened and empowered and confident. That's one way to not sweat the small stuff, which is not take to heart the mischief of other people who are insecure, disrespectful. They don't have to go there. I heard about this this man who was turning 100 years of age in this small town. And the local newspaper decided to send a reporter out there to interview him, to ask him, you know, how'd you get to be 100? What's your secret? So they sent out this young man who was like a cub reporter. And the man welcomed him to his house. He sat down and and the young man said, well, sir, congratulations on you turning 100. I, that's an incredible uh, feat. He said, to, to what do you deserve your longevity? And the old man said, well, you're probably going to find this hard to believe, he said. But I think that the key to my longevity was the fact that when I was a very young man, about your age, I decided I was never again going to argue with anyone. And he said, I accomplished that for the rest of my life. I never argue with anyone. Well, the young reporter said, well, I, I'm, it's kind of a nice you know, thing that you did. He said, but I can't believe that allowed you to, to live to be 100. I mean, you must have had like a special diet or you, or maybe you did those Sudoku puzzles or did you exercise or walk every day? I can't believe just not arguing allowed you to live to be 100. And the old man looked at the reporter and said, you know what? You might be right. Didn't take it on. Didn't take it on. I teach girls to focus on what they have control over. There's an old saying that says that if a, that you don't have control over whether or not a bird lands on your head, but you always have control over, over whether or not you allow them to build a nest. Love that. Love that, love that, love that. You don't have control over whether or not a bird lands on your head, but you always have control over whether or not you allow them to build a nest. That goes for your feelings, your thoughts, and your reactions to other people and to events. So if girls can focus on their feelings and their reactions and their thoughts, catch themselves when they're ruminating and living in the future and switch those, then that's a great way for them to learn to let things go and to not sweat the small stuff. A couple other quick thoughts that might help your daughters with not sweating the small stuff. One of them is a concept. I talked about this before in a podcast. I can't remember when, but I'm going to repeat it anyway. Uh, I heard this concept from one of my favorite authors, Anthony DeMello, in his book called Awareness. And Anthony DeMello said he always wanted to write a book and have the title be, I'm an ass, you're an ass. And I think what he meant by that, or this is what I took from that, is this. If, a, if your daughter has somebody in their life who keeps disappointing them, maybe a friend who doesn't reciprocate, a friend who's not there for them, They've asked their friend for something or they've tried to set a boundary and their friend keeps, <coughs> excuse me, not following through. I tell them instead of carrying around a lot of frustration and resentment and anger, instead of doing that, 
that instead say to themselves, I'm not perfect, my friend's not perfect. I'm an ass, you're an ass. And so I've been trying to, to get them to live to my expectations and my standards, and, and they can't, can't come forward. They can't do it for whatever their reasons are. So instead of keeping my, beating my head against the wall, I'm going to let it go. I'm an ass. I'm not perfect. You're an ass. You're not perfect. It's okay. I'm going to lower my expectations for that person so they no longer have that effect on me. They don't frustrate me. They don't make me angry, and I won't be disappointed because what do you expect from an ass? I sometimes have to tell that to girls about their parents. They've tried to get a parent to listen to them and not interrupt and not go to a fix-it mode kind of thing. And they've, they've tried to set a boundary, and sometimes their parents can't. Sometimes they're, they're, they have a parent who doesn't spend time with them. So sometimes instead of them living in anger, frustration, resentment, it's better to them say, I did my best, and that person cannot rise up to my needs. And so therefore, I'm going to let it go. I'm an ass, you're an ass. Uh, I'm no longer going to allow them to dis disappoint me because I don't expect more from them any longer. I'd like to, for them to act differently, but I can't make them. I'm going to focus on what I have control over, which is me and my expectations. That's a great tool. I'm an ass, you're an ass. For anybody in your life who, who for whatever their reasons are, cannot meet your expectations. Last piece for your daughters. And that is your part. Your part, i.e. You mom, you mom and dad, in them having a hard time letting things go. I heard a really interesting expression years ago, years and years ago, that said, don't jump into your, your daughter's emotional pool and drown with them. And I think that's true when it comes to helping your daughters let things go. They bring home emotion, they bring home situations, and sometimes we get all wrapped up emotionally in that situation. We get angry at, the, at their friend. Uh, we want to call the friend's parent, and we have a hard time letting it go. And because we have a hard time letting it go, it makes it harder for our daughters to let it go. They've got their own emotions about some experience. Then we add ours to their plate, and boop, that's too much. It's too much for them to handle, and they get really overloaded quick. I want them to be able to come home and talk and vent. And what they get from their parents back is a parent who's calm and understanding, not angry, frustrated, and all, all wound up. Your daughters may go through some emotional roller coaster years, ups and downs. That's probably going to happen. It's pretty common through adolescence. What you do not want to do is ride that roller coaster with them because it makes it even harder for them to handle their own emotions. Kids always tend to reflect the adults around them. Don't add your fears and your emotions to their plate. I heard a fun story years ago about uh, a little league coach who took one of his players aside. He said, look, I want to explain some of the principles of good sportsmanship to you. And the little girl said, oh, okay. And the coach said, well, we don't believe in temper tantrums. We don't believe it's okay to scream at the referees and the umpires. We don't agree that it's okay to use bad language or to sulk when we lose. Do you understand that? And the girl was kind of taken aback. She said, yes, sir, I understand. And the coach said, okay, then, do you think you can go uh, and explain that to your dad who's jumping around in the stands? When parents add that kind of stuff to their daughter's life experience, it makes it harder for them to let things go because we add to their already overburdened plate. 
It's very important that our daughters learn to let things go, to not sweat the small stuff. And letting go can happen all along the way, and it's especially true at, at transitions. Maybe leaving middle school to go into high school, leaving high school to go into college. Because you don't want them to carry some old baggage, old beliefs, old thoughts, old feelings with them that don't serve them. I heard about this guy who said that his sister um, was was trying to prepare for her this very in-depth interview with several members of a police academy because she was trying to become a police officer. And this interview was going to determine her suitability as a candidate. Well, they sat down, she sat down and these police officers gave her situations. And the first one was this. So imagine you're on a routine patrol and you see a car traveling at excessive speed speed with undue attention. It's swerving back and forth. Uh, you pulled over and you discover the driver of this car is your brother. What do you do? Without hesitation, the woman said, I tell mom. Unfortunately, she was accepted into the police academy. That's a woman who has never let go of stuff from her brother. I don't want your daughters to carry things around. They've got enough to worry about day by day. Um, that they don't need to carry around old grievances and old hurts and old wounds and old negative beliefs from first grade, fifth grade, eighth grade, whatever. So if they can learn how to catch themselves when they're ruminating and switch it, to bring themselves back to the present moment, they can learn to to practice self-compassion and talk to themselves differently and to be able to connect with that universal experience of, I'm not the only one who's gone through this, I'm not alone. If other people got through it, so can I, so therefore I can let this go. If they can learn, like with that A6,400, to not take things that seriously, not to take 10 seconds worth of negativity and allow it to ruin all the rest of the day. Because because just like the money thing, they've got so much of their day left, so much of their money left, that it's not worth it. They can learn like Buddha to not take on other people's stuff. They can remind themselves and really live out that they are in charge of their feelings and their reactions to other people and also to events, that helps a lot for them to let go of things as well. That will allow them to not allow that bird to build a nest on their head. If they can practice that that concept of I'm an ass, you're an ass, they can start letting go of people they have no control over and no longer allow them to trigger them and cause them emotional pain or frustration or disappointment. And if they're surrounded by adults like mom and dad who don't add to their emotional upheavals, then that helps as well. Our daughters don't need to be that stressed out. We can teach them tools like I've just explained to you. They can practice those tools, put them into play, have them become a part of their repertoire so that when they go off into the world, they'll be able to do a lot better at coping with uh, with uh, people, events, experiences, adversities, challenges. Our girls deserve to have these skills. And I know from a lot of experience with 30 plus years of summer camps and retreats that when they incorporate those into their toolbox, They're a lot happier and they cope much better. You might want to listen to this podcast with your daughter, if you've already listened to it, and then hopefully it will lead to some discussion about some ways that they might want to start letting things go and not sweating the small stuff. Which one of these things I've talked about, which one do they resonate with and have them practice and then follow up and and see how they do. I'll be back here in a week with another topic, another podcast. Pass these on to your friends. 
I will, I will always appreciate and be thankful that you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.